As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. If you want to grow in real estate, join a mastermind, go to meetups, book your trip to the best ever conference. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Alex Rogers. Alex is joining us from Duluth, Minnesota. He's a principal at Gray Duck Companies, a fully integrated multifamily real estate investing firm. They are currently GPs of 112 syndicated units. They also have 110 units and 50,000 square feet of commercial space owned outright with partners. Alex is also an LP of a fund, a multifamily syndication, and a storage syndication. Alex, can you start us off with a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Absolutely. Thanks, Slocum. I'm jazzed to be here. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota originally. Like you mentioned, I moved to Duluth to attend college. I graduated from the University of Minnesota Duluth in 2009 with degrees in finance and economics. As you can imagine, studying finance and economics in 2009 was really interesting. Watching the Great Recession happen right in front of us, kind of the meltdown of our entire financial system. Upon graduating from UMD, I knew that I didn't want to join the corporate workforce. I didn't want to try to climb the corporate ladder. I wanted my successes to be completely derived from my efforts. So I partnered with a really good friend from high school and college to start investing in real estate. We started with two single family assets in 2010. We pooled our funds together, two kids straight out of college. So we didn't have much capital at that time to invest. We had to kind of finance creatively too during that time since capital was tough to acquire. So we got our first foot in the door through two single family assets in Duluth, Minnesota. From there, we slowly saved every penny we could, reinvested into the properties, reinvested into our portfolio, working by day as realtors, selling single family homes in a market that was completely different than it is today, not hot, and doing all the work ourselves working from nine until five selling real estate and then working straight until the evening, two, 3 a.m., putting flooring in units, 
painting, everything. But as time went on, our portfolio snowballed and we've made a lot of different acquaintances in the market, in the investor database world. And a lot of colleagues came to us asking for help with their rentals. So in 2014, we opened East West Property Management and began third-party management for others, as well as focusing on our own portfolio. In 2018, we launched our construction company. And just last year in 2021, we completed our first syndication of 112 units in Duluth. Today, we have an 84-unit multifamily under contract in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, a first-ring suburb of Minneapolis, and are actively deal hunting in Cincinnati, Indianapolis. Nice. And I will say for our best ever listeners that Alex reached out to me connected as a fellow best ever listener he was coming into Cincinnati and we connected and that's how I got to know him and I knew that he'd be able to add value to our audience through getting onto the podcast so a couple of things fully vertically integrated with an owner operator background Alex and now syndicating let me ask first why is it that you decided in the last couple of years to get into syndication Well, we looked at the different markets that we wanted to enter. And then you look at what is the best use of your resources and where are the best returns made. And many of the better returns are made on projects that are larger in scope where your own capital can't do the full job. So we turned to raising capital for others so we can provide a solid return for our investors. We'll also be able to execute a business plan alongside our own capital for the better return. And that's what generated our drive towards syndication. Gotcha. So I'm an owner-operator myself, as you already know, Alex, from our conversations. As an owner-operator with a portfolio smaller than yours, I ask myself often whether or not I should do something like get into third-party property management in order to generate the revenue to help build out the team that manages and helps me force appreciation in my own portfolio and my own acquisitions generate a little more revenue, generate a little more income personally, because I have most of those pieces in place. The vast majority of people I come across, like you and me, Alex, who are owner operators, every chance I get, I ask the question, did you ever consider third-party management? And almost always they say, I considered it and I decided against it. You started into third-party management several years ago now, 2014, you said, Why is it that you decided to take on third-party property management at that point in the growth of your portfolio? That's a great question. Property management is truly a thankless job, but one of the most critical for executing a business plan and being able to see these properties through. We got into property management as kind of our foot in the door to expand our network. We had a lot of colleagues looking for help. At the time, there was one other property management firm in our market. And at that time, we had built up our own portfolio, systems, processes, a vendor database, and we're positioned in a way to grow our own system and company, but we did require additional units to manage to really make it feasible from a financial perspective, because it's not inexpensive to have a staff of maintenance technicians, administrative staff, and accountants. And that was really our drive to open up to third party property management so that we could adequately staff our own property management firm to manage our own assets. Tell us, Alex, what those numbers look like. Where did you find your portfolio at the time that you decided to take on third-party management? And how big now separating your own personal investment portfolio 
thinking specifically about how large a management portfolio needs to be to have the scale to justify full-time staff and get yourself out of the day-to-day operations of the portfolio. Where was your portfolio at the time you decided to make that leap into third party to increase the management portfolio? And where did you need to get the portfolio to in order to be sustainably sized to have that full-time staff? You know this just as well as anybody that the rental rates of an apartment community can differ significantly based on the market. So the unit count to make it feasible to have a property management company in Seattle, Portland may be way different than Duluth, Minnesota or Cincinnati. For us, when we opened our management company, we were sitting around 45 units that we owned. We immediately had 150 units that were looking for a home, though, to help. So basically, day one, we stepped in with a management company managing about 190 units. Gotcha. So you effectively quadrupled the portfolio day one, it sounds like. Now, what did it take to get those 150 units for third-party management? I imagine they didn't just fall in your lap. They kind of did. We are a tertiary market. <laughs> and at the time, there wasn't too many other options for property management. So when we were opening, we already had the relationship with the owner and they were looking for something new, somebody that could help fill units and hit market rates and make sure that the maintenance was in line. So they maintained their asset. Gotcha. So there was not much competition for property management than where you were. At the time, no. Today, there's a few other really great options in our market for property management outside of our own company. Are you still managing third party? We are for very select clients. How do you select those clients? Those that have an interest in maintaining their assets, we are the face of those rental properties. So anytime a tenant is upset that a improvement isn't approved by an owner, we're the ones that get the backlash. So we're very picky with who we choose to represent to make sure that they are in fact on board with maintaining their assets, improving them for the better of the community and the residents. In Cincinnati here, I personally often use property managers as sort of like deal finders because I know a lot of people when they're experiencing distress with their rental properties, especially if they're invested at a distance, the first people to know are property managers, usually because they are shopping for one, because they feel like they need change in order to get their portfolio to perform. Have you found that offering third-party management services has put deals in your inbox in the form of distressed owners who are reaching out looking for third-party management when what they really need is just to sell? So the first indication that we closed on last year in 2021, the 112 unit, that was a portion of 150 units we onboarded back in 2014. So that was a portfolio that we managed for seven years before we had the opportunity to acquire it. So that is kind of like an ancillary value of growing your third-party business is potentially being able to work with those owners down the road for deal flow. Gotcha. Have you had a lot of distressed landlords reach out to you about your management services to get their properties back to performance? We have. So the market that we're in in Duluth, Minnesota, the average age of our housing stock is exceptionally old. There's plenty of properties out there that were 100 years older than I am. So the bones are great, structurally speaking. They are sound. However, these systems within them need updating and improvements pretty frequently. So We do find that there's a decent amount of housing stock and rental stock in our market that could use some more love. 
And those rental owners usually do come to us or a few other decent management companies we have in Duluth. A lot of times they'll be self-managed beforehand. Gotcha. And you said you started a construction company as well. You know, I, coming from the owner-operator perspective, having my own portfolio and having my own construction needs, my attorney and my insurance guy both recommended that I have a different company that handled renovations, but that's really entirely within my own portfolio. Is that what you guys did in 2018, or did you start a company for doing renovation and construction third party for other investors? We do offer our construction services to our clients that our third-party management for. Gotcha. Uh, we don't offer it to the public. And really, the genesis or the catalyst for starting our construction company was, at that time, the construction industry really started to boom, and it was tough to nail down contractors to perform jobs that we needed done in a timely fashion. So yeah. we expanded our team, brought in some really great team players, and were able to control that timeline a little bit better when it's in-house. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years. And he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I'm feeling that right now. I have a little more than the 45 doors that you had when you started your management company, but I've effectively done the same thing. They're still technically independent contractors, but I make sure that I'm giving them enough work to keep them busy full time so that I know when my work is going to get completed. It's a small group of guys because that's all I need at the moment, but I could see it growing for sure. Let's convert this into advice, Alex. I remember struggling to get apartments turned and even just some maintenance work orders taken care of if they were outside of my own capacity when my portfolio was smaller and I couldn't afford staff or I didn't have the capacity to keep independent contractors busy all the time. So I was stuck using people who I found on Craigslist or I tapped out every single person who had been referred to me within my sphere 
And I was struggling to get toilets replaced, much less apartments renovated. Going back to the owner operator in that space who's scaling their portfolio, what advice do you have for an operator who needs to scale to get to the point of having full-time staff for the management of their own portfolio? What advice do you have for making that leap? Is it simply start a management company, go get a bunch of doors, or is it more nuanced than that? It's definitely more nuanced than that. And it can be the chicken or the egg concept too. Starting off with third-party could help you with that, where you can build your team, your systems, and your processes for yourself and others while you can expand your door count. So it's feasible to have a team, but really it's a tough thing. You need to make sure that you can service your own units. And if you take on any others and you're having trouble finding vendors to perform maintenance or improvements, you can be put in a tough spot. So always looking for qualified vendors that can help you out in a pinch and then bring on teammates that can satisfy your maintenance needs too. In your experience, how many units does it take to keep a maintenance person busy full-time? It's going to really depend on your market. Here in Duluth, I think we were right around 50 units to really occupy a lot of time for one of our maintenance technicians because of the age of the housing stock. Other markets that have newer housing stock, it could be a lot more units that you need to have somebody on full-time. Yeah, I am currently managing, let's call it around 80 doors. And every property that I've brought on recently, of course, had a lot of deferred maintenance because I was acquiring them out of situations where the management was not as active as I am. Let's say it that way. Um, But as soon as I've crested the hill of maintenance work orders, now I'm at a good point where I have to keep my guys busy. I'm effectively flipping a house on the side right now just to make sure that in between apartment turns and other issues that I know that I can keep my guys busy. So like you mentioned, the flow of work orders can have its peaks and troughs. When we're at a trough, we have a shortage of work orders. We're very aggressive with making sure we're able to get out and inspect units that we need to, to make sure that they are in adequate shape. We aim for two inspections each year of every unit. You can find a lot of deferred maintenance. Some tenants are really good about reporting a leaky faucet, whatever it might be, and others just don't, and that can damage the property. So it's pretty critical to be able to go in and inspect the units as well. And that can occasionally generate additional work for your team. Yeah, Absolutely. Get those furnace filters swapped out for sure. Exactly. So before we segue to the final segment of the show, Alex, I want to ask you because we're recording in mid to late May of 2022, and you're actively looking for deals in a few different Midwestern markets. There's a lot going on with the economy. There's a lot going on politically, both in the world and in the United States. We're effectively still experiencing a pandemic, hopefully on the tail end. When you combine that with inflation and supply chain issues, very quickly rising interest rates, incredible volatility in the stock market and other investment markets, a lot going on right now. You're actively looking at deals. A couple of questions for you. The first is, Are you seeing any changes in the deals that are brought to you by brokers now as opposed to earlier this year? And are you changing the way that you underwrite 
or changing your own strategy for acquisitions right now based on what's happening on a macro scale in the economy and the world? Great question. In terms of what we're seeing from brokers, we do see that some owners are now a little bit more aware of the volatility in the debt markets. So their pricing guidance has been reflective of that, where previously you could find some good long-term debt for three and a quarter, three and a half percent, and that's not the case anymore. So when doing your underwriting, the brokers know that this deal was financially feasible January 1. Today, it's not where the debt markets are anymore. So they're taking that into account, and that is impacting pricing guidance. In terms of our underwriting, not much has changed from our underwriting perspective other than where we can get debt currently. We're still pricing expansion and cap rates for all of our underwriting to be conservative. We're still conservative with our after renovation rents and still pretty conservative with our vacancy rates when we go into these markets. Gotcha. How much of a difference are you seeing in the pricing guidelines you're getting from brokers? It's May now, compared now to January. How much of a difference is there now? It depends. We were looking at a deal that was brought on market in February with call to offers earlier this month. And they had known that there's going to be some price adjustments of about 10% is what they were expecting. So pretty substantial. Not every deal is going to be like that, obviously, but that one in particular, and you know, it's coming from a broker. So they're already pricing at the top of market. Of course. And that's not necessarily where the buyers are going to come in at. Yeah. And keeping in mind, of course, the broker works for the seller. It's their responsibility to get the seller the best deal that they can, but also they have to bring realistic buyers who are able to close to the table and get them to make compelling offers. Exactly. And most buyers need to be able to cash flow. <laughs> so if the debt can't work for you, it's not going to work for either party. Yeah, that makes sense. Alex, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Awesome. What is the best ever book you recently read? Joe's book was great, but I would have to say Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. You know, I read that book myself recently, and it was kind of one of those things that I read it already knowing that I was going to agree with everything that was said, but I still needed to hear it. And I have, since reading it, maybe a month ago, onboarded two more people to help (laughs) me with things because I was finally asking who can do this for me instead of how can I make room for these things that I'm just not performing on because I'm too busy. Yeah. So it's critical for growing your team. Yeah, for sure. It's not just critical for growing your team, but it's critical for recognizing that you need to grow your team because you're too busy. Truth. Alex, what is your best ever way to give back? Well, I volunteer my time. Giving back to the community is really important. I'm very passionate about animal welfare. I sit on the board and numerous committees for our local animal humane society. Nice. Thus far in your commercial real estate investing career, Alex, what is the biggest mistake that you've made and the best ever lesson you've learned from it? Biggest mistake I've made probably goes back a little bit to who, not how, and not adequately empowering my team. Early on, I would, I don't want to say, but I would almost micromanage and not allowing my team really to go and advocate for our and our clients' best interests. So that was probably the biggest mistake I made early on. Yeah. I totally get that. When I went through traction, the first core value that I came to was trust. And I lead with that whenever I hire anyone in any capacity now. As I let them know that my number one core value is trust. I've hired them or I'm working with them because I know that I can trust them. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the bandwidth to micromanage. 
So you're going to be on your own. You're going to be reporting back to me. Sometimes there will be other people to hold you accountable and sometimes there won't. I have to know that I can trust you. That's number one. Yeah, micromanaging burns them out just as much as it burns you out. Right. I don't have the bandwidth for it. So I can only hire people that I know that I can trust for sure. I've experienced that as well. Alex, what is your best ever advice? To surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. If you want to grow in real estate, join a mastermind, go to meetups, book your trip to the best ever conference. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Absolutely. And where can people get in touch with you? You can reach me at alex at graydock.co, G-R-A-Y-D-U-C-K dot C-O, or through LinkedIn. Awesome. Those links are included in the show notes as well. Alex, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well. If you gained value from this conversation with Alex Rogers, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend you know we can add value to through this conversation about scaling your portfolio and your business as an owner-operator and in the current investing climate. Thank you and have a best ever day.